I've been a nurse for 12 years. Previously, they didn't have enough PPE. Now they're going to continue to not have enough PPE. People are overworked. They're being exposed repeatedly. Uh, and then when they go to file workman's comp, being told that they may have acquired it in the community. You probably got that at a grocery store, despite the fact that you're working in a literal Petri dish. There are uh, nurses who are vulnerable. They have cancer. They have a number of other conditions being told you have to go. You don't have the right to refuse. So it's just a number of different things like that that we're seeing um, that the nurses are having to fight back against. That America will never be a socialist country. country. Attitudes are changing towards socialism. We believe the only solution is the establishment of a workers' government on a socialist program. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Socialist Revolution Podcast. My name is John Peterson. I'm the editor of Socialist Revolution magazine. You can visit our website at socialistrevolution.org. Each week, we feature contributions and discussions on current events, history, and theory from a Marxist class struggle perspective, featuring revolutionary socialists from around the country and around the world. This week, we're kicking off what will be a regular feature on our podcasts, a conversation with a frontline worker. This week we're joined by Stephanie Reese. She is an RN with over 12 years uh, of nursing experience. She's a member of the Massachusetts Nursing Association and a member of the Boston International Marxist Tendency. She's the author of a recent article on socialistrevolution.org about the conditions on the front lines in Boston, uh, as well as the insights that she has to the actions that workers are organically taking to defend their own lives and the lives of their patients. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Now, thank you for joining us. Um, <clears throat> frontline workers have obviously been in the news a lot lately. Uh, a lot of professions that were once kind of looked down upon by bourgeois society are now considered essential. For example, grocery store workers, warehouse, meatpacking, delivery workers, and of course, healthcare workers, including doctors, medical and facility support staff, EMTs, and of course, the front line of the front line, if you will, in the fight against uh, COVID-19, nurses. Hundreds of thousands of essential workers have been infected and untold thousands have died over the last few weeks, forced either by necessity or in many cases just compelled by professional and moral obligation to continue doing their jobs. Uh, but that means they're exposed to the virus, they're exposing themselves, their families and their loved ones to disease and to tragedy. Uh, but not only have essential workers been killed directly by the virus, the stress and strain of this work, the long hours, the sense of responsibility towards those they serve has even led some of them to commit suicide. This is the harsh reality of the world capitalism has imposed on us. But we've also seen that workers are hardly about to roll over and give up without a fight. So far, over 220 wildcat strikes have been recorded just over the last few weeks as workers come together to withhold their labor to demand better wages, protections, and greater control over their workplaces and the lives of themselves and everyone they care about. So it's really exciting to get to speak with someone who has seen these processes unfolding up close in the profession of nursing. Uh, so Stephanie, thanks again for joining us. Could you please tell us a little bit about your professional background and your union membership? 
Sure. Um, as you said, I've been a nurse for 12 years. Uh, right now, I work in Boston in care management, um, but previously I've worked in all kinds of settings. Um, I joined the MNA about four years ago when I became an LP, uh, excuse me, an RN, um, because I was an LPN previously, and you can't be in the MNA if you're an LPN. They actually keep uh, thousands of nurses out of the union um, because it's RN only. Um, but I did join. I'm part of a non-bargaining unit, which means um, although I don't have any... Uh, representation in my workplace, I still uh, pay dues and I still have a vote and I still have representation from the union uh, as far as I can use their resources. Okay, thanks for that. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about the general situation in Boston when it comes to COVID-19 and especially the situation faced in the hospitals? So right now in the hospitals, um, uh, this week actually, uh, the governor uh, started the four-phase plan to reopen the economy, which includes uh, opening up uh, hospitals for non-essential or um, non-urgent uh, uh, surgeries. So uh, what's happening now is um, previously they didn't have enough PPE. Now they're going to continue to not have enough PPE. Um, people are overworked. Um, they're being exposed repeatedly. Uh, and then when they go to file workman's comp, um, things like being told that they may have acquired it in the community. You probably got that at a grocery store, despite the fact that you're working in a literal Petri dish. Um, A number of other things have been happening. Um, As far as the most typical thing we're seeing is just a complete lack of PPE being forced to work in situations um, where some nurses don't have the skill uh, to to actually intubate or to to work with patients who are intubated. Um, Yet they're being told that they have to go into that environment. There are uh, nurses who are vulnerable. They have cancer. They have a number of other conditions being told you have to go. You don't have the right to refuse when in fact they actually have the right to refuse. So it's just a number of different things like that that we're seeing um, that the nurses are having to, to fight back against. Okay, I mean, so I mean, that sounds like, like absolute confirmation of what may, to some people, seem like anecdotal evidence of, uh, you know, the way the frontline workers, uh, nurses, are being treated in the midst of this uh, crisis. But it's, uh, I mean, this is all around you. This isn't just your experience. I mean, the lack of PPE, the long hours, the stress. Uh, what kind of feedback are you getting from individual nurses that you're in contact with uh, who are perhaps working in a, in a COVID-19 unit? Um, I I can tell you a number of different stories, Um, whether we're talking about someone working in one of the long-term care facilities, which are just notoriously uh, understaffed, Uh, they have lack of PPE, they don't have proper infection control, Um, telling me how their infection control nurse actually isn't trained, nor is the infection control nurse training the staff. Um, And the individual I'm speaking of um, is uh, a woman who has two children. She's a single mom. She's the sole source of income for her family. She has one kidney. Um, She takes care, at the end of the day, goes and takes care of her father uh, with emphysema and her mother with with dementia. Um, This is a woman who's now uh, taken a position because she, you know, they're throwing a little bit of money, but not enough money to actually uh, survive, really. But you're able to get hired quickly uh, in these situations, um, and it's it's tempting. Tempting to go into, into that situation because you you need the money, basically. Yeah, it's 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 a matter of desperation when you have a family to take care of, um, and no one else is making the money. And that's typical for nurses. It's a job that um, frequently single women will get into and are actually able to take care of their families, um, particularly with the LPNs who end up in the long term care facilities again, which are the worst uh, uh, conditions. 
Um, but then other instances, uh, for instance, even some of the nurses who get to, you know, aren't uh, directly exposed, but are still doing some of the other things um, in the community, um, having to deal with an increased workload, increased responsibilities coming down about um, monitoring patients additionally. Um, and then meanwhile, having your two children who you are now a teacher to. Um, so the it's just, it's a lot for everyone. And then you have people being told mandatory overtime, which the state of Massachusetts technically mandatory overtime is legal, but um, during times of emergency, they're able to uh, to implement mandatory overtime. So it's just bad. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I think what we're seeing is, I mean, the, the class struggle is always taking place, right? And then the class struggle is the struggle which takes place under capitalism between the classes over the surplus value created by the workers. Um, and, you know, that's expressed in the conflict between labor and management. Of course, you've got the capitalist state is there to back up uh, the, the, the bosses, to back up the owners. Um, and this has all just exacerbated things, like you said, because people are desperate, because it's uh, people are compelled to, to work those hours because they feel like they have to, to try to help get their, their, their neighborhoods, their, their families, uh, the whole of humanity through this crisis. Uh, how has the class struggle been manifesting itself then in in Boston in particular and in the hospital system uh, to you know that that you know of so um, the MNA actually uh, has done a great job the nurses uh, in the union have been fighting back um, there have been things like um, so hospitals have been closing behavioral health beds for years um, and they've been using this time as a, a the, the virus is a nice cover to close beds while people aren't really looking. So some of the nurses are actually standing out. They're doing protests uh, to fight back against some of the closures. Um, uh, one of the things that the MNA has done recently, uh, which I think is so amazing, is after hearing repeatedly uh, the hospitals say, oh, we have plenty of PPE, but the nurse is reporting they are absolutely lying. We don't have plenty. They're keeping it under lock and key. They're distributing it uh, extremely limitedly and to people whom they feel uh, should be getting it, not to everyone, which is what everyone in an entire facility should be wearing a mask. Um, so uh, what they did was uh, after those reports, they just took it into their own hands and they began to acquire PPE themselves. So um, they've acquired thousands uh, of masks. Um, they used their own funds and they also appealed to the community. Um, they've had, they just got $11,000 from the uh, steel workers union in Boston who just donated to them to get more PPE. So they have been uh, using their own resources to get the PPE. Now, knowing that already that the hospitals are lying, they aren't distributing the PPE properly. Um, and they're going to, if you just turn around and give it to them, they're going to continue to do the same thing. So um, they have actually taken the PPE, given it to the nurses and the bargaining units in each individual facility, and then had the nurses distribute it, um, saying that we know who needs it. And they trust us, the nurses, to actually distribute it. Um, and a cool thing about that, too, is they aren't just doing it to union facilities. They're doing it to all facilities that are, that are in need. Um, and it's not just to nurses. It's to all workers in those facilities, because you, you can't just say, yes, just nurses need masks. No, every worker in that facility needs to be protected. And that that protects the community, that protects the workers, that protects the patients. Absolutely. And, and, and it's nice to hear about the solidarity from the steel workers donating those resources. Um, but at the same time, of course, you know, uh, you know, as revolutionary socialists, we obviously would think that those kinds of resources should come from a worker's state, from a worker's government, from a nationalized 
uh, healthcare system, not having individuals or even individual unions having to cobble together their resources or dipping into the, the resources of, of their membership in order to cover things that should be you know, no-brainers in a situation like this. Uh, so you do have some solidarity uh, taking place, which is obviously encouraging. But you did mention the sort of divisions in the nurses' uh, unions uh, or, or the lack of, of, of uh, a union for some nurses, whereas RNs can be members of the MNA and stuff like that. Uh, you did mention, of course, that the MNA in practice is in solidarity distributing PPE to all uh, workers in a facility, no matter what union they may or may not be in. But how, how do those divisions in, in the nurses' unions, uh, you know, how does that weaken our class, basically? How does that weaken nurses as a whole? I mean, if you choose to uh, eliminate 30,000 workers from your union, um, and particularly when they have the same interests, they work in the same facilities, um, there are literally five things that an RN can do that an LPN is not allowed to do. Literally five things. So... Um, it creates a division, uh, an unnecessary, uh, unnecessary division where um, uh, creates an inability to, to bargain in, in some instances when you can't get all of the nurses. Say you have mixed nurses in a facility. It just it creates barriers to, to organizing the workers. Um, and it, it just, yeah, it, it hinders the organization. Sure, because, I mean, unity is, is the strength of the working class across all lines, uh, you know, that, that capitalism tries to impose on us. So why should we impose... Uh, artificial divisions amongst amongst ourselves and treat it really like in the old craft style unionism where there's sort of a jealous guardian of, of your own narrow interests instead of recognizing as I think so many workers do the most workers do that you know the interests of all workers are the same so has there been any tension between the rank and file uh, of the MNA and and the leadership uh, or or are they pretty happy with the you know the relatively bold measures that the leadership has, has taken to try to get PPE to their people. We've seen, for example, in the last period that uh, a lot of wildcat strikes taking place either where there are no unions at all or in the case of some of the teacher strikes over the last couple of years where the rank and file members are actually going out on strike against the wishes of their own leadership who are actually trying to maintain nice, stable relations between management and, and the workers. Uh, you know, has, has that expressed itself right now in the MNA or, or not so much? Or what's your experience been? So um, in the recent meetings, the, uh, the union meetings have now moved to Facebook Live. And in those meetings, it's really interesting because as the comments uh, are being made by the leader of the MNA, um, you can see what the nurses are actually concerned about. Um, and they will bring up different things. And this past week, I noticed that there were a couple of nurses who said, as the uh, the president of the MNA said, call your representatives. The nurses said, we need to do more than just make phone calls at this point. We need to organize. And there were several nurses saying this. So this is something I've not seen in the past. Um, so it's, it's interesting to see that. Um, and I don't know where the demand for transparency is coming from, but um, there's um, they want to know who, who has what, uh, what money they're getting for it and where it's going. Um, so I'm not sure if that's the, uh, the members, uh, or if it's just, you know, the entirety of the, uh, the union, but, um, we're seeing some of that as well. Okay. And so this, thank you. And, and, but, and so this move towards acquiring PPE and distributing it, yeah. And, and the, the fact that nurses are basically trying to take certain elements of their working life into their own hands. I mean, I think this is something that we haven't seen much of in the United States either. 
moves in the direction of what we would call workers' control, of, of workers starting to assert some you know, measure of control over how their workplaces are actually run in order to protect themselves and, of course, the people, the patients that they serve. Um, how is this, you know, could you talk us a little bit more about, about that and sort of how the, you know, the union stepping in and acquiring PPE and distributing it, how, how the rank and file uh, has taken to that. Are there any other moves in that direction towards, you know, insisting on, on certain safety standards and, and so on within the hospitals? So as far as uh, the decision to, to acquire and distribute the PPE, the nurses were completely on board. And actually it was, it was the rank and file that was doing the distribution and like literally picking up, meeting uh, other groups of nurses, places to, to distribute. So um, they were very much involved in, in every, every part of that. Um, and I've seen a lot of pride with that. Um, as far as uh, other efforts to take control, I haven't seen much. I do see that the nurses are speaking up, but we... If it as your it's your responsibility to advocate for your patients, and a lot of the nurses think, okay, we need to speak up to advocate for the patient. Um, I am seeing more nurses speaking up for nurses because we can't take care of other people if we can't take care of ourselves. They're starting to realize, like, um, from that perspective. But I'm not seeing a whole lot of uh, taking control in other ways yet. Sure, I'm seeing no. talk at least. <laughs> well, you know, t- talk talk is important, especially in, in environments like that, which can be quite oppressive, frankly, in, in terms of the way that the administrators treat their staff, what's allowed, what's not allowed, uh, and, and so on, especially under under times of such stress like we're living under today. Um, but but I think these early steps, you know, we know in the United States that things can acquire a life of their own fairly quickly, and sometimes all it takes is one good example in one part of the country, like with the teacher strikes, starts in West Virginia, of all places, uh, you know, relatively, you know, right-wing state, uh, at least uh, in terms of, you know, federal elections and stuff, and yet they sort of led the way. And a lot of other so-called red states, uh, red in the Republican sense, not red in, uh, in the revolutionary socialist sense yet, uh, but but they also then took that lead in, in, in places like Arizona or, you know, even North Carolina, uh, again, places that are traditionally considered fairly conservative. So, so you know, all it takes is that good example. And, and, and I think there's possibility of, of what's been going on in Boston to, to spread elsewhere. Um, you know, obviously the, the IMT has developed a, a program to fight COVID-19 and capitalism, which raises a lot of these demands. So it's very uh, exciting and gratifying, if you will, to see these things organically emerging out of the experience of the working class itself, out of the experience of the class struggle. What other kinds of demands then do you think nurses should really be, be taking up in, uh, in the fight against COVID-19, which again, ultimately has to be a fight against capitalism itself? So ultimately the nurses know what needs to be done. Um, and it makes no sense for people who are concerned with profit to be running our healthcare or anything for that matter. But I mean, as far as healthcare is concerned, we've seen now that in regard to their bottom line, they will literally put their workers at risk. They will put the public at risk. Their decisions don't just affect the people in that hospital in that moment, but it it leads to infection, greater infection for all of us. They've put us in danger based on their decisions at this point. So the medical professionals, the nurses, uh, the other workers in the hospital, they should be the ones to make the decisions of what is happening within the hospitals. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the workers in any workplace are the ones that really know how to run things. But my, my sense is that, you know, there's, there's no workplace like, uh, quite like a hospital. And uh, the work that a nurse has to do and the kinds of decisions that have to be made and the kind of care and attention and sacrifice that have to be made to take care of perfect strangers uh, very often is, uh, is a whole nother level. And, and, you know, administrators don't intubate, as, as far as I understand. <laughs> they, you know, uh, and, and so I, I think this is a really good example of how the working class knows how to run society, but we aren't allowed to believe that we can actually run society ourselves. And that, that's what we've got to move in that direction. Um, so on the question of healthcare, uh, is there some broad support then towards like a nationalized healthcare system among nurses towards free universal healthcare uh, Absolutely. You know, for actually. abolishing these disgusting HMOs. I mean, I can't imagine having, you know, being a professional and having your professional decisions affected by the need to, you know, adhere to profit making standards when you know that, you know, a different standard would lead to a better result in that patient's uh, care. And when you realize that, um, so research is showing that nursing burnout isn't caused by the complexity of our patients or the challenges that we face from our patients. It is the barriers uh, that we face, for instance, insurance, for instance, socioeconomic things. Those are the things that actually result in our burnout. So it's not giving our whole selves to people to take care of them. It's the fact that we have this arbitrary barrier that prevents us from giving someone the appropriate medication or the appropriate treatment. And when we know or we have to try things that don't work before we do something that works. Um, so it can be very challenging. Yeah, that, that makes me think that it must be very similar with turnover among teachers as well. And, and, and many other sectors of, of the working class where you have that kind of a direct connection with the people that you're taking care of. And you want to take care of, but you're just not allowed to buy a system that has other aims in mind. Um, so finally, we're in an, an election year. Uh, Massachusetts is uh, you know, considered a rock-solid blue state. It's dominated completely by the Democratic Party. Uh, the Democrats have a supermajority of both houses of state government, as well as the, the governorship itself. Uh, the mayor of Boston, Marty Walsh, is also a Democrat. So all of these attacks are basically taking place under, uh, under, under the, the, the control of the Democratic Party. That, uh, that darling of, uh, of liberal progressives, uh, Elizabeth Warren, is also a senator from Massachusetts. So, uh, you know, we we're talking about other states earlier that might be considered, quote unquote, Republican. And yet you have the working class moving in its own interests. A uh, place like Massachusetts, considered typically Democrat. And yet you have workers moving to defend their own interests because they don't feel represented. And actually in Massachusetts, they're under direct attack by that party. Uh, so, you know, unions are involved in political lobbying in, in elections. And of course, uh, we'll have presidential elections later this year. Uh, unions have given hundreds of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of their union members money to the Democrats over the last few electoral cycles, uh, including the MNA has given a lot of money to Democrats. Uh, what are the results been for all that investment, if you will, into that party? Uh, they have been, they've achieved no results as far as uh, attempts for uh, getting Medicare for all or for safe patient ratios, or, um, safe patient to nurse ratios. Um, the MNA typically, uh, outside of this crisis, does act more like a politi political pressure group. Um, they uh, do a lot of lobbying. Um, so they've been actually trying to get Medicare for all since the 90s. Um, as well, and they've also been working on safe patient limits uh, in different uh, stages since uh, the same time. 
Um, and they continuously use the same methods of, of uh, appealing to the community to vote, to contact your representatives. And it is just over and over again, they're met with failure. Um, and most recently, after the failure of the uh, vote for safe patient limits, I had actually reached out to um, when they to the union and said, can we talk about striking for safe patient limits? Because clearly voting yes on one isn't happening. Um, but it wasn't met with much uh, uh, positive reception for that for some reason. But hmm. <laughs> So there we do see some of that, that tension that we talked about earlier between the rank and file and the current leadership of, of these unions who, as we said, are kind of more interested in having a comfortable working relationship or, or going through lobbying and lawyers and courts and things like that instead of mobilizing their members, mobilizing anybody in that sector to put real pressure on the streets through strikes, through withholding labor, etc. But of course, politics is, is important. Uh, strikes are important, very important, and, and uh, workplace actions, workers' control. But ultimately, the working class needs a political party uh, of its own. I mean, we're seeing how in both red states and blue states, the working class is not uh, having its interests served. After Bernie dropped out of the race this second time, and I think especially after he rubbed salt in the wound by you know, pretty enthusiastically endorsing Joe Biden, a lot of people are looking for a way out of this dead-end two-party system. Roseanne DeMauro, who is probably the most well-known nurse in the country, she's the former executive director of National Nurses United, uh, she was a supporter of the Labor Party in the 1990s. And now, after Bernie dropped out of the race, she's come out again uh, in, on Twitter and so on, talking about the need for a new workers' party. You have uh, phenomena like the Movement for a People's Party that are also pushing in this direction. What are your thoughts on what the unions should do with their vast financial resources, their huge membership base, the, the deep ties that they have in the working class across the country when it comes to politics? It would be great to see them turn to support some of these independent movement or these independent parties uh, or a uh, workers party. Um, it they will con or they have continued to put their funds into the Democrats. Um, MNA, for instance, even uh, the building trades in Massachusetts, they heavily support the Democrats. But with their resources, they could very easily, very easily be the force that helps build a workers party in the United States. Yeah, no, again, I think Massachusetts is a great example of how, uh, you know, how do you argue for lesser evilism in a state that's, you know, pretty much guaranteed to go Democrat uh, in the presidentials and, and in many other elections um, and, and makes the case where, you know, workers need to run independent candidates. The unions need to break this unholy alliance with, uh, with a Democratic Party, which is a capitalist party. Uh, and it's a party only in name. It's really a big fundraising, money-making uh, machine uh, tied you know, to the capitalist state itself. It's one of the key pillars of bourgeois rule in this country, and we need our own party. So it's encouraging when we hear uh, that there's, there's interest there. I mean, ultimately, the problems that uh, face the working class can only be resolved on a class-independent basis. And hopefully one thing that comes out of this, what I think is going to be a pretty prolonged crisis, getting through COVID-19 and the aftermath, and of course, the economic crisis, which was triggered by COVID-19, but which ultimately reflects the, the underlying weakness and internal contradictions of the system, is that the workers are going to move more and more in the direction of asserting control, not only over their workplaces, but also over their political lives and ultimately over the economy as a whole when it comes to healthcare, education, 
uh, infrastructure and everything else. Um, so, uh, yeah, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Do you have any final thoughts uh, for our audience? Um, I'd say one thing, actually, one thing that's helped me uh, not become demoralized and uh, especially in the face of all of this is the, the fact that I have revolutionary theory to understand what's happening in the world. So I think it's incredibly important. It's been helpful for me to rather than get completely burned out, it helps me to know how to move forward. Um, I think it's important to study these things. So uh, checking out uh our organization, socialistrevolution.org, and the International Marxist Tendency, um, I think, very important. Uh. Awesome. Absolutely. Thank you, uh, Stephanie, for joining us. And thanks to everyone who tuned in to this week's episode. And a really big thanks to Laura Brown, our sound engineer. Uh, you've never seen her on screen before, but without her hard work, uh, none of these episodes would be possible. So please, uh, if you like this video and uh, other videos like it, please like it uh, on social media. Please subscribe and help us find other viewers. If you really like what you see, please consider donating to our work or subscribing to Socialist Revolution. We have a new digital edition of our magazine. It's free for all subscribers until we can start production of the print version again. Uh, and at that time, you will be receiving your full uh, subscriptions in print mailed to your door every time we produce an issue. Uh, or better yet, if you really, really like what you've seen here, why don't you join the IMT? Why don't you contact us and get involved in the fight for socialism in our lifetime? Again, check us out at socialistrevolution.org. Have a great week. Stay safe. And remember, when it comes to the working class, an injury to one is an injury to all. Bella, ciao, bella.